morning. It's good to be with you this morning on this Easter Sunday and uh, and on April Fools. It's just so strange to think of those two dates together. The last time April Fools and Easter were together on the same day was in 1956. The next time will be in 2029. And um, I don't know if you know anything about April Fools' Day. Uh, one thought it came from was years ago the Julian calendar that had somehow observed the new year after the March equinox had been replaced by the Gregorian calendar, which observed New Year's Day for the new year on January 1st. And if you did not hear about it or you refused to believe it and you still brought in the new year after the March equinox, you were called an April fool. And um, I thought that was just interesting to me because um, if here it is on the same day, as Easter, as if the resurrection isn't hard enough to accept already. Now we got this going on today. I understand uh, Burger King is serving chocolate uh, whoppers today, and is an April Fool's joke. And I've heard snow's coming. I don't know what your plans are. We're going to hunt. East- My grandkids are going to hunt some Easter eggs, and then we're going to go sledding. I guess I, I don't know what to think of it. It's weird, weird uh, to see all this happening uh, at the same time. But, you know, as I started thinking about this, what was I going to do? What was I going to talk about on April Fool's Day? I thought, well, I could do a lesson on fools. Well, we don't need any more help on that. We all know what that I didn't think that would work. And then I got to thinking, I wonder if Easter and foolishness or April Fool's has ever collided before. And that's when I found out the same day in 1956. And then it goes on and on and on, you know, with all the other dates. But then I started looking at the very first Easter story. And I couldn't help but notice there's a lot of foolishness going on during this time. During the first day, the first time, the, the first morning of the resurrection. You know, a couple of guys are walking down the road to the road to Emmaus. And if you know the story, they're talking to one another. They're kind of shuffling along. And Jesus joins them. This is after, this is the morning of the resurrection now. Joins them and they're walking along together. What are you guys talking about? And it says, the Bible says they stopped and looked at him like, <laughs> What are we talking about? Are you visiting or something? Haven't you heard? This, the, the Messiah, the, the man named Jesus, who was powerful in speech and in, and in, in deeds, was crucified, and he's supposed to be back from the dead in three days. Well, it's the third day. <laughs> they keep walking. And Jesus' response to these fellows, look what he says here in Luke 24. Then Jesus said to them, You're foolish and slow to realize what is true. I guess you could say April Fools and Easter had just collided and it hadn't even begun. It was just beginning. Then I got to look and there are lots of fools. Lots of foolish activity happening during the time of the very first Easter. What do you mean by that, Tim? Well, you know, the, the, the powers that be, those that were powerful, thought the resurrection was a joke. They thought Jesus was a joke. And so they assumed that the cross would end their Messiah problem. Boy, were they in for a surprise, huh? And of course, the women, they thought Jesus hadn't resurrected either. They, they thought He was dead as well. I mean, why would you take spices to anoint a living body? So they come to the tomb prepared to anoint the body of Jesus on the third day. And on top of that, they're told the body's been stolen and they believe it. In fact, they've assumed it. Somehow the body has been taken away. The tomb's empty, but it's been stolen somehow. And so they begin to tell the disciples and people, 
Hey, somebody's took the body. Peter's took back by that, runs to the tomb. I always thought he ran to the tomb because the Lord is risen. He ran to the tomb because he thought, what happened to the body? It's empty. The disciples didn't even expect Jesus to resurrect on the third day. If you remember, they're in a room. It's all locked up. And the women, bam, 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 knock on the door and they say, hey, listen, we've had a vision and the tomb is empty and somebody may have taken the body. And in Luke 24, it says, their words sounded like foolish talk. What the women were saying. The followers did not believe them. And even the Apostle Paul even had his doubts about the resurrection. If you remember in Acts 26, the Apostle Paul came later. He became a Christian and then is arrested and is in front of a guy by the name of King Agrippa in Acts 26. We find that account there. And he begins to explain why he's arrested. And one of the reasons he says he's arrested, I'm arrested because of the hope of the resurrection. And in verse 26, verse 8, he asks this question. Why would any of you think it is absurd to have hope that God raises the dead? In other words, why would anybody think it's idiotic, stupid, ridiculous, nonsense, foolish? Because God can raise the dead. When you read, when you read the book of Acts, you read the account of, here in, in Acts 26, you find the Apostle Paul says, you know, there was a time I was convinced that I should do everything I should in my power to deal with Jesus, to, to oppose Him. And I did. I went everywhere. I arrested people. I had people... Uh, stoned to death. And I did that. And then one time on a journey, I met Jesus. And wow, it changed my mind. Verse 22, he says, But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I'm saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer, and as the, and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to His own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You're out of your mind, Paul. What's he saying? You're crazy. You're a fool. Because your great learning is driving you insane. And look at Paul's response. He says, I am not insane. At one time I was. One time I was crazy. One time I was a fool. But not anymore. No. What I'm saying is true and it's reasonable. In other words, it makes sense. And it can make sense to you. I want you to know this morning, God doesn't want us fooled on Easter. There's a lot of stuff on the internet. You ever try to sort all that stuff out? It's hard, isn't it? There's so much stuff. I remember when I'd prepare for a sermon, I'd have to have books. I have this big library, and I'd have all these books out. It used to be information was put in a book and you had to find a publisher that had the nerve or the courage or the credibility to print it. Right? And so you could read in a book and you say, well, if you read in a book, it must be true. And by and large, you would be right. Most of the time, that you'd be safe there. Not the Internet. Not with fancy graphics and slick advertisement. you got some crazy people out there. Is the world ending in April again? It was supposed to happen last year. I think it's at the 18th, 23rd. I can't remember what day it is. It keeps to move around. When is it? The 18th. Okay, it's over. The 18th. What's that? Or being invaded this time. Okay. Man, I tell you what. This is. How do you know any of this is true? 
it's hard to sort it all out, you know. Paul says, what I'm telling you is both true and reasonable, and he uses the Scriptures to bring it credibility. He brings his history in to bring it credibility. And I want you to know today, God doesn't want you fooled. And He offers, I believe, true and reasonable evidence that builds our faith in the resurrection on Easter. So I, I didn't know how to go with this. I, th- I thought about going, okay, you can be fooled by Easter if, and go opposite, you know, with the points. But I thought, ah, let's just find Tim here. Let's do it this way. I won't be fooled by the resurrection of Christ. First, when I look objectively at His execution. You know, you can't have a resurrection without a dead body, right? Am I right about that? you got to have a dead body. You can't have a resurrection without it. And see, the execution of Jesus proves something that He was really here. I don't know if you know this or not, but there's not a scholar, atheist or Christian or religious scholar on the planet that doesn't believe Jesus existed. They, they all believe across the board. You say, well, I've, and by the way, I went to some websites and I found some atheists that said they question the historicity of Jesus and they question if he, does he really exist. And it's funny, the scholars, the atheist scholars that are clear about they know he existed think those guys are a bunch of jokes. They laugh them right out of their seminars. Let me give you a couple of examples here. Here's Bart Erdman. And, and this is what he says about Jesus Christ. One of the most certain facts of history is that Jesus was crucified on orders of the Roman perfect of Judea, Pontius Pilate. He's a North Carolina University professor. Atheist, scholar. Here's, here's uh, uh, Jared uh, Ludeman says this, Jesus' death as a consequence of crucifixion is indisputable. It's a fact. It's a fact he's saying. Now you're noticing probably in your notes there's no Scripture into this point. Anybody notice that? Because why? Why do I have to go to Bible? You know, you, 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 you'll find your own Bible verses on that. I think we know that Jesus was executed. You can find the Bible. It's very clear He was executed. Okay? The Bible is very clear that Jesus was here. But you know, sometimes you've got to have more evidence than that, don't you? You ever feel like that? Uh, Lee Strobel does a great job in that case for Christ. He said that on their wall, he was a, uh, a homicide investigator for the Chicago Tribune or a investigative reporter for the Chicago Tribune. And they had on their wall, if your mother says she loves you, get another source. Make sure. Uh, are you a skeptic? I'm a skeptic. You believe everything you hear? I learned the term... How's it go? How's this? I'm going to see if I get this right. Gullible? Is that gullible? Yeah. And then I learned fool. That's fool. I thought, interesting. So I'm not going to be picking my nose anymore in public. <laughs> that scared me when you said that. But, but, but the idea of gullible, and you know, I, I can be gullible. I, I, I can admit, you know, I used to believe there were spacemen, you know, that come to the planet and all that stuff when I was a teenager. But then I begin to question everything. I don't know, maybe you, the skeptic in you questions everything. You need more than just one source. And for a lot of people in the world, they think Christians, all we do is got our nose in our Bible and we ignore outside evidence. And I want to tell you, it's not wise to ignore outside evidence. We should look at it too. It's good for us. So if you're wondering why there's no Scripture to this point, I couldn't 
pick the, I couldn't find a scripture I would say, well, here's one. Oh, that's a better one. Oh, that's a, ah, they know where the scriptures are. Let them figure it out. But outside of the Bible, I found this to be interesting. That there's all this evidence outside of the Bible. I was, uh, Lee Strobel makes this point. If you can find two sources that, that somehow confirm something in ancient history, that is historical gold. That's what he calls it. Historical gold. Well, the Bible gives us more than two sources about the existence of Jesus. For example, example here's, here's some I think I want to screen. The first one's Tacitus. Yeah. He's a Roman. And he mentions the fire that Nero started. Okay? But blamed the Christians. And also in his document, The Annuals, he talks about the crucifixion of Jesus in detail. Lucian, he's a second century Greek comic. In other words, he's the Steve Gobert of his day. All right, you say, why would you quote a comic, Tim? Well, you know, uh, we we may not want to admit this. Dave Chappelle? Any Dave Chappelle people out here? Yeah. You know, his irony, his sarcasm, ooh, it hurts sometimes, doesn't it? I mean, he gets you laughing and then exposes you for the hypocrites you are. As an American, as a person, as a human being, I'm sitting there going, why, why is it, why would I quote Dave Chappelle? Because he was right about some, he's, he makes, sometimes he's right with his sarcasm. This is true about this comic here, uh, in second century Greece, it's Lucian. He's making fun of Christians and making fun of the Christ because it was a common knowledge there were Christians and they followed Jesus. He was a real person. Joseph, uh, or Josephus, who's probably the premier Jewish historian of all time, mentions Jesus existing. And then there's the Babylonian Talmud, which is a collection of Jewish beliefs and things that help them formulate or basically summarize what the Jews believed. And there's an interesting passage here up on the screen. Let me read from it that it was recorded. Jesus was hanged on Passover Eve. Forty days previously, the herald had cried, He is being led out for stoning because he has practiced sorcery and Israel led, uh, uh, and led Israel astray and enticed them to, into apostasy. Whosoever has anything to say in his defense, let him come and declare it. As nothing was brought forward in his defense, he was hanged on Passover Eve. People want to say, well, this is maybe not be the Jesus that we're talking about. Well, there's, I don't know how many Jesuses were crucified on Passover Eve. I think it's pretty clear here. But these are early documents and making it very clear, which by the way, atheist scholars, all of them across the board, the ones that have any worth here, folks, they all agree that the New Testament is an historical document you can count on. I don't know why they're atheists still, but hey, there there it is. That's the first thing. i got to look objectively at the execution. I know we can find websites and we can find some people out there that say it didn't happen, he was never there. The Romans never recorded his crucifixion. Folks, the Romans had so many crucifixions, they didn't record a lot of people on that list. And they had no respect for Jesus. So, you, you know, there's, there's an answer to that. I would suggest you do some research and have some fun looking at the execution of Jesus. Looking at what does the Bible, what's the Bible say, but also what does the world, our scholars, People of learning that have been here forever and the evidence suggests about Jesus. And what it will tell you is He really was here. And He was executed. So before there can be a resurrection, we've got to prove that He's there. That He died. That He was killed. Second thing is I won't be fooled by the resurrection when I investigate the early accounts. 
I've got to look at the early accounts. I want to confess something to you. When I was, um, when I was a young man in my uh, 20s, late teens and 20s, I really had a hard time believing this Bible. Could I trust it? Is it really, is it, is these stories all literal, figurative, allegorical? What are they, you know? And I remember, by the way, um, those of you that weren't around during the 70s, it was crazy in Christianity. It was crazy. Things that were happening. And I just remember going, man, how am I going to, I want to figure this out. How do I do this? And I started investigating myself. I'd have somebody say, well, it says this and it says this. Where did you get that? My mama taught me that. Where did you get that? And so sometimes I had to chase stuff. I would chase stuff down. It was, it's remarkable. It's, I find this astounding that many Christians today never look. Their research is about that deep. And we have more information available to us than ever before. Access to it like never before. And we won't invest in books. We're, we're so busy on Facebook, we don't bother to look at other things and see what can we find that's credible out there that helps us understand if this resurrection really took place. And so, if I don't want to be fooled, I've got to investigate it myself. You can't take my word for it. You know, I'm, here I am, 60 years old. 40 years I've been looking at this resurrection. 40 years I've been looking at my Bible. I'm still trying to find that loophole. I'm still trying to find that problem. You say, are you kidding me, Tim? No, I'm, I'm telling the truth. I still have a little skepticism in me that's making me look. Are you looking? Are you looking any deeper than the sermon? See, here's what we know. Here's what we know. The crucifixion, is we're sure that it happened. As a people, as a, as a human race. We know that's true. But the resurrection, that sounds like legend. That came later. You know what I'm saying? In other words, you know, that's, I, I get it that he died, but I don't know if he resurrected. How can we be sure of that? You know how, you know how stories get. They start off one way and then they start getting worse and worse and worse. And next thing you know, they're crazy. I, Danny remembers this. Uh, we rode a bus with the Wiles boys, Victor and Kent Wiles. And Victor used to tell stories. I saw a black panther. You know, here we are in grade school. I saw a black panther. What do you mean? It was it was a large leopard in my backyard. You know, we're fascinated. At Ten years old. I mean, are you kidding me? No, it was big. And I grabbed him and I wrestled him to the ground. And Kent's sitting there, his little brother's going. And I'll never forget Kent. Every time Victor would tell a story, it get a little bit bigger, a little more. A little more embellished, and he'd go, and, and Ken would go, Oh, he never, that never happened. And we look at Victor and he'd go, Busted. His little brother bust him out all the time. Well, that's kind of like that, that's what I'm talking about here. You know, okay, I got the crucifixion, and that's true, but then this resurrection thing just doesn't sound like it belongs in the story. I bet it's took, it took several years, probably, you know, before it became legend. And that's what you'd think. It takes about two or three generations for it to become legend. Some believe it takes about 400 years before a story can start losing its historical accuracy and become legend. The problem is, here's the problem. It wasn't 100 years, it wasn't 400 years before they started talking about the resurrection and when it took place. It wasn't 300, 200, or 100. 
it was within months. It was the next day. They were talking about the resurrection. This was not, this didn't become legend. It was fact. They treated it like it was fact. And, and some of the early accounts that we have in the Bible have been written in our Bible, for example, in 1 Corinthians 15, were written, written within 25 years of what took place. I think I read some of this to you during the Lord's Supper. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you're saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise you've believed in vain. And look what he says here. For what I received. Now Paul's saying, I received something. Somebody passed this on to me. And by the way, just because Paul became a Christian, he didn't give up his Jewish habits. What do you mean, Tim? Jews were experts in storytelling. If you want to know what the Jews stood out for, they could tell a story. Oh, you mean they could spin a tale? No, 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 no. They could repeat a story they heard word for word. It was an art form. And it was a goal to get it right. Never, never to embellish it. Never to exaggerate. Never to hold anything back. So you would see this oral tradition in Judaism. And Paul is saying here to these people in Corinth, I'm about to do something Jewish to you guys. I'm taking something I received and I'm passing it on to you, it says, as first importance. He's saying, this is so important, i got to get it right. And what was it? What is this statement that's, that's so important that he wants to pass on to them? That Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He was buried and then was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. And He appeared to Cephas, which is Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, He appeared to more than 500 of, of the brothers and sisters, catch it, at the same time. Now, why would you want it at the same time? There are some folks who believe that uh, the disciples were hallucinating this experience. Now, the problem with hallucinations is this. I can have a hallucination, but you can't have my hallucination. First of all, it's mine. <laughs> okay? And you, you, I can't share it with you. I can't go, no, 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 no. You know, a telepath, you know, I uh, uh, heard a guy say it this way. Uh, you know, you're having a dream, you're in Hawaii, and you wake up your wife, honey, wake up. What? I just had this dream we're in Hawaii, so let's go back to sleep, and we'll go, and we'll have this dream together, and we won't have to spend the money. Wouldn't that be nice? The truth is, you can't do that. It's a psychological fact. I can't have the same hallucination you have. He appears to 500 people at the same time, Paul is saying here. Most of them are still living. He said, you want, you don't believe me? Go ask them. You can check them out right now. And some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Why James? Because James was a skeptic. And then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also as one abnormally born. What, do you, what am I trying to show you here this morning? I'm trying to show you that here's an early account of the resurrection. And Paul's saying, look, it's important I pass this on exactly as it was given to me. I want you to, from eyewitnesses to you, I want you to get it too. Some people believe that Paul received this from the apostles one to seven years after it happened. First Corinthians was written in 60, 58 A.D. So around 25 years after it took place, we have it actually recorded here. Some people believe this. I'm, I share this view that the resurrection story, this particular, what they call, some people call an Apostles' Creed, 
was shared within months of the actual event. So it didn't take, it wasn't 100 years, it was many years later. Um, I don't know if you ever heard of the Gospel of Peter. It's one of those books that didn't make the cut. Written in 125 A.D. And they describe the resurrection really crazy. Almost like psychedelic crazy. Well, it's 120, you know, it's, it's 100 years after it's happened, you see. It's had time to be embellished. That's why it wasn't accepted. You look at the Gospels and they just lay it out. Here's what's happened. Ugly truth and all. Here's what it is. So I have to look at the early accounts of the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ if it's going to make any sense to you. We've got to do that. And I would suggest, I'm just giving you a little bit here, I suggest you try looking into the early accounts. See what early people said about the resurrection. Number three, I won't be fooled by Easter when I review the reports of the empty tomb. No one, no one disputes the tomb is empty. No one. No one says Jesus' body is in the tomb. No one. Everybody, even his skeptics, said the tomb is empty. Even his enemies, they admit the tomb is empty. That's kind of nice, isn't it? There's a lot of conspiracy theories that surround the tomb. You know, the Romans took it. The Jews took it. The disciples took it. He really wasn't dead. They went to the wrong tomb. you got all these other... And you can look at... You can read about those and... I don't have time to get into each one of those except to tell you the Romans weren't interested in having a dead body. They weren't even dead. They weren't interested in that. They guarded the right tomb. There was no wrong tomb. Talk to Chris Weiler. There are two tombs in Jerusalem. He, could, he, he was there just a couple of weeks ago and he can explain to you what he discovered about the, about the tombs. No, the Bible says this, that Jesus was buried in a borrowed tomb. It was sealed. It was guarded and it was found empty three days later. That's what the Bible says. And the Romans? And here's, here's the thing I want you to see. Everybody knew where Jesus was buried in that city. The Romans knew where He was. The Jews knew where He was. And the Christians knew where He was. The women knew where to go. The Romans knew where to guard. Everybody knew where Jesus was buried. Now, here's the thing I want you to think about. If the tomb is in Jerusalem, and by the way, according what Chris told me was, after the crucifixion, they had to get him in the, to bury him quickly. So the tomb is close by. Everybody knows where that tomb is in the city. If a guy said Jesus resurrected from the dead and started a crazy, radical Christian movement in the same city, and the tomb was still filled, wouldn't somebody go to that tomb and say, well, right now, let's go over there and look? How are they able to get away with that? Because the tomb was empty. It was empty. Everybody knew it. it was a, and again, this church started in the same town. Jesus died and was buried. The second thing I want you to see here is there's some discrediting details in this story that kind of give the resurrection story credibility. What do you mean by that? Well, a lot of cops and people who work in law enforcement or invest or, or do investigating, they'll they'll say, "Tell us your story." And when you tell it, um, and you have these little quirky details that they don't make you look real smart. They make you look kind of stupid. 
that actually gives you credibility. Now, if you want to know how to lie, there you go, okay? But, I mean, in other words, there's details in your story that gives credibility because if you, if you wanted to make a story true, if you were going to tell a lie, you would leave out discreditable details. For example, in this story, it's women that find Jesus. They're the first to find Jesus in the tomb. And you may say, you ladies going, watch it now, Tim, watch it. Listen, things have changed, okay? But back then, a woman's testimony meant zip. And if you wanted to give a story credibility, you would not want that detail in there. Uh, The disciples are afraid and don't think He's going to resurrect. All of His followers didn't think He was going to resurrect. Why would you have that in the story? Unless you were wanting it to be true and just let the chips fall where they may. That makes sense? In other words, look, that's what happened. And we're not going to... Listen, this is so important. We're not going to embellish. We're not going to lie. We're not going to exaggerate. I mean, honestly, if I was telling the story of the resurrection, I'd say, okay, here's what happened. John. Yeah, that's what happened. John. Yeah, that's the ticket. John. He came and he rolled the stone away. He was like Hercules, you know. And the twelve disciples overpowered the guards. And no, no. And then Jesus comes floating out like an angel. Or you know, I'd, I'd have all these crazy. I'd have some cool stuff in there. Not women found him. Again, no offense, but it didn't mean anything. No, they didn't embellish this story at all. In fact, people that were trying to embellish the story were the Jews. Here's what we'll do. We'll pay you some money. And you can say somebody, the disciples took the body. That's how we'll get around that. No, it really happened this way. And that's why the story just doesn't have a lot of sensational tidbits in it. And it has all these little discrediting, discrediting details that you go, why would they say that? You don't want to say that. That makes them look bad. Actually, it gives the story credibility. And then the opponents of Jesus admit the tomb is empty. That's how we know it's empty. Even the critics and the Jews that opposed Him imply that the tomb is empty. Look at this passage. While the women were on their way, in other words, they were going back to tell the disciples, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You're to say his disciples came during the night and stole him away while he was asleep. If this report gets to the governor, it will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. And by the way, there's historical documentation that this story was circulated for centuries. But did you notice something? What are they implying? The tomb is empty. Lee Strobel said it this way. You ever heard anybody say, you ever heard a kid say, a teacher says, where's your homework? And he says, the dog ate it. What's he implying? He doesn't have the homework. You see? And that's what these guys are doing. By the way, I think this, this, what the guards, what they gave the guards to say has some holes in it. How can a sleeping guard know who took the body? Well, he woke up right at the end and saw him, you know, walking away. Why didn't they stop him? There's holes in this story. And I think the guards knew that, but they got some money. (laughs) So they were happy. 
Well, the tomb, no one disputes that the tomb is empty. Like I said, the Romans didn't take it because they wanted Jesus dead. And the disciples couldn't take it because they didn't have the opportunity or the means to do that. And besides, why would these guys, why would these fellas, these disciples, why would these followers give themselves to a life of ridicule, persecution, and even death if He was really dead? Well, the tomb is empty. Now, I want to say something to you here. Easter is not about an empty tomb. You catch me? Without a body, empty tomb's just empty. You understand what I'm saying? It's not about an empty tomb. It's about a body that's alive again. And that brings me to this fourth reason and fourth thing you can do to keep yourself from being fooled. And that is, I accept the testimony of eyewitnesses. Eyewitness testimony is pretty amazing. In a courtroom, when a lawyer says, if you've, I'm sure you know, my, my extent of courtroom experience is watching my cousin Vinny, so I'm you know, limited. You know, what does he say? Identical. You remember that? Okay. And what if that's right there? Uh, dirt. That's right. Shout it out. Just shout it out. You know, eyewitness testimony. We're looking for eye, and, and that guy says, We're, we got eyewitness testimony. And I'll listen to a lawyer once in a while. He'll say that. What's he saying? I've got indisputable evidence from an eyewitness. Eyewitness testimony is very, very powerful. And so I need to look at the eyewitness testimony because that's where I find a significant amount of evidence about the resurrection. You know, uh, Luke wrote the Gospel of Luke, and when you write, when you read the first uh, chapter of Luke. He goes in right at the beginning. He says, Theophilus, he was a new believer. He said, listen, um, I've decided I'm going to do a, an investigation. I'm going to talk to people, eyewitness people, people talk to people, and I'm going to find out about this Jesus. And by the time the book of Acts comes out, he's got a second book he's writing to the same guy named Theophilus. And look at it says here. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up into heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. So Luke investigates Jesus. He starts investigating. And where does he go? To eyewitnesses. He goes to people who have talked to eyewitnesses. And he's trying to get this evidence. And he says, this is why I concluded, Theophilus, that Jesus gave many convincing proofs. And you think, you read the, the account, you get that. Remember, the disciples are like, I'll, I'll do a, a, it was a Mike Denius moment. Whoa. That's what Mike Denius said. Whoa. You see, here comes Jesus through the wall. Uh, uh. They're going, look at that. Anybody know Mike Denius makes that sound a lot? Have you noticed that? Okay. I thought it was funny. Anyway, so he comes, here comes Jesus through the door and, and, uh, the disciple, you know, Thomas, uh, nicknamed Mike, and he's, whoa, you know, he's like, and they're all like, oh my goodness. And he says, fear not, it's me. And they're going, huh? He goes, well, here, look at me. Touch me. Give me something to eat. And well, I wonder who the disciple was that handed Jesus something to eat. I could see him going like this. Like he's feeding a bear or something. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he's eating something. 
You know, some people are grabbing him. Okay, don't grab me so much now. Okay, calm down. Yes, it's me. He's proven himself. Talk to me. Walk with me. And he does it not just one day, but over a period of 40 days. This is something interesting to me. Because the disciples did not base their belief in the resurrection of Jesus by unseen evidence. You say, what do you mean, Tim? You know why they died for their faith? And listen to that. This is that right there. I just said it. Died for their faith. They died for what they saw. They died for what they actually saw with their own eyes. They weren't walking by faith, but by sight when it came to that. Now you and I, on the other hand, did we, anybody got any photographs of George Washington, by the way? Anybody here? I'm still looking for that. Yet we all say, well, he was really here. Why? I saw a painting of him. A painting? I've got a finger, I've got some paintings of dinosaurs at my house. That doesn't, you know, my kids did. Does that mean, you know, they look just like that? Got think about this. It's, what's the evidence that you and I have about George Washington? It's based on eyewitness account. Letters. I saw a statue of him. So? There's a statue of the Hamburglar and a McDonald's. Does that mean? Well, think about it. I used to think he was real, but now I found out, no. See what I'm saying? Uh, how do we know, how do we know that George Washington or any of these historical people we just accept without even thinking about as true? Eyewitnesses? Eyewitnesses? People who have talked to them? Worked with them? Saw them? have been interviewed, or they've written something down. And this is what's happening here. It's See, it's, it's not faith in the unseen. These disciples actually see the risen Christ. No wonder they die for, their, for what they believe. And did Jesus say this somewhere? I, 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 I might be wrong. I thought He said something about, about His miracles. You believe because you've seen My miracles. Greater are those who haven't seen these miracles and yet believe. Well, how much does God admire someone to believe in something like the resurrection they've never seen? And they take the words of the eyewitness. You see, we're like the jury in the courtroom. You and I decide, are we going to believe in the resurrection or not? And by the way, I don't think I'm the only skeptic in this room. I think all of us at times wonder about that resurrection, don't we? If we just admit it. Well, I hope it's true. I hope it, I hope it really happened. I understand that. But the eyewitnesses say that it did. You know, that's why Peter, he stands up in the same city Jesus was crucified in, the same city he was buried in, and says these words in Acts chapter 2. God has raised this very Jesus from death and we are witnesses, all witnesses, he's talking about the other eleven, all witnesses to this what? Act. They weren't walking by faith on this one. They were walking by sight. And what was the response of the, the people who many of them weren't there when this occurred? Many of them didn't see Jesus. It says 3,000 were baptized. That's the power of eyewitness testimony. 
And when you focus on the eyewitness testimony, you're going to find your faith getting stronger. Mine gets stronger just thinking about that. You see, God doesn't want you to be fooled. He didn't want anybody to be fooled. That's why He appeared to more than just His twelve. He appeared to over 500 people and over a period of 40 days. He wanted to make it real clear to a lot of people, hey, I'm back. So what does this resurrection say to me then? What can it say? It says several things. Let me give you four and then we'll be through. The first thing it says to me is every claim of Jesus is true. I'm the Son of God, He says. That's true. I, I came to redeem you. That's true. I'm the sacrifice for, I'm to die and sacri- be sacrificed for your sin. That is true. I am the promised Messiah. That is true. I am the King of kings and Lord of lords. That is absolutely true because He's the only one to ever come back from the grave. He backed up His words. He said, you put me in the ground three days and I'm going to come out alive. So every claim of Jesus is true. The second thing is every promise God has made, He'll make good. Every promise He makes to you and I, if you're a believer in Christ, every promise He makes to you, He'll make good. When He says, you seek Me first, I'll take care of you, He will make that good. If he says, I want to, if he says, I want to change you, I want to change something in your life, I don't see how you're going to be able to do it, Lord. He's going to make that promise good. He's going to help you. When I mess up, I just mess up. I screw up all the time. And he says he forgives me. Can I believe that? Absolutely. Absolutely. I just messed up just a few minutes ago. Forgive him. He can forgive that. You don't know the week I've had. He knows the week you had, and He can take care of it. I've got this stronghold in my life. I can't, I can't seem to shake it. Can anybody help me? Jesus can. Why? Because death had a hold of Him, and He went, get out of here. So every promise God makes. I was thinking this morning, you know, God has plans for us. We say that a lot around here. The devil does too. I don't know. Right now, I'm thinking, okay, just the sound of that. Which plans are better already? Who's going to back them up? God's going to back them up. He's got your back. Every promise of what He's going to do, what He's going to bring you to, what He's going to reveal to you, He's going to make good. He's going to bring life where you feel like something's dying. Everything that happens to you Instead of trying to get out of it, he's trying to get out something out good out of it and bring it together for good. He promises to do that in your life. Number three, God has the last laugh over death. Period. He has the last laugh. He decides who lives and dies. He overcome the grave. He has the last laugh over His death and the last laugh over your death. He decides what happens. And number four, there are eternal consequences. I said to a godless life, but really there are eternal consequences what the resurrection tells me. There's more to come. 
There's more to come. There's something after this time on earth. And the resurrection is saying there's more coming. God did not design you just to live on this earth and die and that's it. There's much more He wants to do. And the eternal consequences of a godless life is tragic. It's tragic. I don't know where you stand with God. Well, let me read something to you out of Acts 17 as we close here. Paul is speaking here. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now He commands all people everywhere to repent. For He has set a day when He will judge the world with justice by the man He has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising Him from the dead. You know, one of the things Gary's been pounding in me the last couple of years, you know, resurrection is a lot in the Bible. There's a lot of times in the Bible, I'm going, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Have you really read the book of Acts? Are you kidding me? I've read the book of Acts tons of times. I ought to read it again and highlight our resurrection. You know, I discovered resurrection was the language of the early church. Everything depended on that. All their decisions, what they faced, all hinged on this resurrection. Because, listen, folks, if God wasn't didn't raise him from the dead, we're to be pitied more than anyone else on the planet. But he has raised him, hasn't he? And because of that, there'll be a day when we, you and I will be before the judgment seat of God. That's going to happen. Where do you stand with the Lord on Easter? Where, where do you stand with God on Easter? Because there's, the resurrection says there's accountability. There's something after this time on earth. There are eternal consequences. And you can be, like Paul said in 1 Corinthians, we can be a moron or we can be a moron for Christ. Which will it be this morning for you on Easter Sunday? We're all going to go home. We're all going to do Easter egg hunts, watch some, some TV, have some time with family. But I hope in the back of your mind, Christian believer, I want you to know something, believer. The resurrection is the biggest deal that ever happened. It's big. It's huge. And if you're not a believer in Christ, if you haven't given Christ your life, you are facing some grave consequences because of this resurrection. What's designed to give you hope may seal your doom. What will it be? Will you be fooled on Easter? Will you be the fool on Easter? Or will you accept the resurrection? There's a card in your bulletin there and and um, it just gives you an opportunity for something you'd like for us to pray about. Maybe you're making a decision. Maybe you'd like to make a decision today and say, listen, I want to give my life to Christ. I want to study the Bible. You say, you say, what if I say I want to give my life to Christ? I think you need to get in the Bible and find out what that means. Get in the Bible with somebody. Let them study the Bible with you. And so why not check that one-on-one uh, -on -one Bible study? Or maybe, maybe you're, you're somebody who says, you know what, I need to rededicate my life. I gave my life to Christ, but that's here on Easter, what a great time to do it. I'm going to rededicate my life to Christ right now. Why not mark that in that box?
or maybe there's a loved one or there's a concern you got, why not write it out on that little card as we sing a song and uh, let some people pray for you what's on that card. Um, we're going to give you the opportunity as we sing here after I get through praying, and then we're going to take up a, a contribution after another song and well as well those cards. And uh, members of Greater Alton, we ask you to give generously, and if you're a guest, you're under no obligation to give anything today. Nobody's going to look at you weird if you don't put anything in the plate. We're not trying to get anything out of you. We're trying to give you something today, okay? Let's let's pray. Father, thank you for the resurrection, Lord. Thank you for thank you for the power of the resurrection. Lord, I thank you for those apostles and for the the, the eyewitnesses that would write their testimonies, Father, and write down information. I could read thousands of years later, Father, and know that there was that your son Jesus walked on this earth, that he was crucified, and three days after being buried, three days later would come out of a tomb alive. Father, we, we, we want you to know we dedicate ourselves not to an empty tomb, but a, your Son who walks full of life right now. Father, we pray that His power, the power He used, that you used to transform His dead body to life, that we'll, we can tap into and transform our, our lives, that change can take place. Thank you so much, Father, for, for Easter. It's weird that it's on April Fool's Day too. Help us not be the fool, but be full of faith. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.